it is not a mistake or an accident that you are mixed. This was actually intentional and beautiful and good. Part two of a two-part series with Chandra Crane. I am Rohadi coming at you from Tree Seven Lands in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You don't want to miss this part. We're talking about multi-ethnicity. We're talking about her book, Mixed Blessing. You can support this podcast by checking out rohadi.com and going to the top right, clicking about. There are different ways. Sign up for the newsletter. That's the free way. Find me on social media and connect in. Let me know how you're doing, how you're feeling about all of these different episodes on season five of the Faith in the Fresh Vibe podcast. You can find Chandra online as well. Best bet is probably her Twitter account, which is Chandra L. Crane. That's on Twitter. And then from there, you'll find her link tree links. All the different places to connect in. You can also purchase her book, Mixed Blessing, wherever fine books are sold. The context, the preamble, the first part was just before this one. So listen to that one first, then come back into this one, which is slightly shorter, but I chopped them into two because we had such a good time talking about, well, ourselves. And then also painting a picture, a future, a better future for multi-ethnic people and all people. Without further ado, let's just jump straight in. Mixed blessing, embracing the fullness of your multi-ethnic identity. Um, There are pieces in this book where I stopped and went, oh, what? (laughs) Because you put into words the things that I just did. (laughs) I guess as a writer, too, like maybe I should put them in the words, too. I never did because it just... And then all of a sudden, the aha moment. These were like my, in some small way, my awoke moment and, and... in a sense of being alert to my own self, uh, mm-hmm. your <laughs> your piece on TV, and and like I'm <laughs> I'm a dude who's like I can't watch dramas. Like I just don't have the the mental, maybe spiritual capacity to deal with like deep topics of of sad movies, dr- uh-huh, drama uh-huh. series, and. I do cartoons, comedies, and then your your bit on cooking, like these race neutral, like there's not yeah. going to be an investment for me. I can just shut my mind off right now. My PBR uh-huh. is full of beat Bobby Flay because like there's just <laughs> no investment from me to participate in this little piece of joy. And it's just like, like I've always said that I don't want to, I got enough crap to deal with in the real world to worry about watching it again on TV. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and then when you put that into words, it was like, of course, of course. This is why yeah. through the pandemic, I've watched all of British Bake Off. Right? And it's so good. <laughs> so good. And and kids can watch it. We love that too, right? It's it's quote unquote safe for kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
but you know, generally less cursing unless you're watching Gordon Ramsay and then it's bleep. So it's fine. <laughs> I even thought about the other cooking shows, Jamie Oliver, like what, what therapy oh, to watch Jamie Oliver delightful. and his, uh, he had like a eight part series. What are we talking about now? <laughs> he had this eight part series <laughs> on, uh, or something like that. He went through Italy with his mentor. And the yes. friendship they had. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I haven't we seen get it, the but same now TV I'm going to look it up you. now. Actually, our TV is your yeah. TV. What should I say? They, uh, oh, they travel through Italy and just different stops. Oh. And, and just the sheer joy around food and the friendship that they have. I'm like, I want uh-huh. that. Why can't I be Jamie Oliver? Other than uh, the white piece, but... Um, the <laughs> Uh, back to your book. Uh, th- this is one of the few, and you labeled off maybe the the only other ones that are devoted to multi ethnic folks. Being mixed means being a stranger and sojourner wherever one goes, in every sense of the phrase. And then you jump into explore pain and privilege and promise. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think you kind of also discuss being able to fit in in everywhere in a sense um but also not fitting anywhere one of the things i loved with writing the book so i stand on the soldiers i stand on the shoulders mm-hmm. of sandy fraser and the work she did in check all that apply mm-hmm. and i actually got to interview her oh cool i quote her a million times in the book she was the first person to say Jesus is multi-ethnic. Yeah. Mm. And to to me, to the reader, it is not a mistake or an accident that you are mixed. This was actually intentional and beautiful and good. Mm -hmm. That blew me away. Mm. Someone needs to one of the things I loved. Someone needs to hear that. And so it was such a privilege right now. Yes, you, listener, you're not a mistake. And so it was such a privilege to join the the cohort of people saying that mm. to be mm. a part of that story, to write the book for the next generation. When I talked to Sunday, she said, I have been praying for you. I've been praying for the person that God would choose to write a book for the next generation. In her book, she covers, and of course she's coming out of loving the Virginia, the landmark uh, case in the States, which legalized you, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm mixed marriage, yeah. de, um, demonized, uh, undemonized. Well, no, it's still demonized, but um, made legal what was already happening, which is mixed marriage. So she's coming directly out of that generation. Um, so she's, you know, half a generation older um, than I am, but a very different time frame conversation much more in terms of being biracial or, um, the word mixed not really being used, not really being reclaimed yet in the way that I and others are seeking to reclaim it mm-hmm. and redeem it and, and use it for good and not for evil. Um, in her book, she's really exploring a lot of the foundational aspects of what it means to be mixed, what it means to be multi-ethnic, what it means to be biracial and the reality of that and the redemptive goodness of God. When I was doing the interviews for the book, which I loved and which is one of my favorite things about doing podcasts and also having the Mixed Blessing podcast that I get to host, is hearing these stories. Mm. So much of the book 
wrote itself was written by the people I interviewed because so many of the phrases they used were so good that I made sure I recorded all of those and then took meticulous notes so I could quote them in the book. One of the things that came out of it was this third section of the promise. So the pain and the privilege, but also the promise of being mixed. Mm-hmm. And there are mm-hmm. so many ways in which we are a prophetic mm-hmm. word to the church about yes. what pain and promise look like together, mm-hmm. what the intersection of those look like, what the both and of pain and privilege look like. And I love seeing the promise. I love seeing the things that mixed folks are doing around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And the ways in which we are pressing into reminding the church, we are strangers and sojourners Mm. in the land, Mm. in this land, in this in-between liminal space before the new heavens and the new earth are inaugurated. Mm. Man, that's a word. That's a word the church needs. And that's one of the things I'm most passionate about right now a new, a new season, right? And I I love, I love that you asked and it was really fun to think back on these seasons of life that I've encountered in my journey of multi-ethnicity. The new season I'm in is I was recently promoted to the coordinator of the mixed ministry department, which I'm planting from scratch, which someone recently was praying for me. And I thought, oh, I need to be kinder to myself. I'm, I'm, planting an entirely new department. That's a lot of work. I need to be nicer to myself and less impatient with myself. So InterVarsity has, I would say in a lot of ways, been at the forefront of racial reconciliation. And we have added departments over the years, Black Campus Ministries, Asian American Ministries, La Fe, which is Latin Fellowship, and Native IV, Native InterVarsity. We now have a mixed ministry department and I'm the coordinator of it. And that is a whole new season of me figuring out and being delighted Mm. to see what it looks like to encourage and empower and equip mixed folks to preach the gospel. Mm. And I love it. I love that my job is to find mixed folks, to be found by mixed folks, to tell our stories together, to learn how to tell our stories I don't want to say better as though how people are telling their stories isn't already enough, but how to tell our stories louder and even more passionately and in a way that monoethnic people, both minorities and majority folks can hear and making sure that mixed people aren't tokenized. I think you mentioned earlier, just that weird space of mixed folks tending to have more diversity in their lives. But also, I'm sure you've looked around a room and realized, oh, I'm the diversity. (laughs) Oh, it's me. It's me in this sea of pale faces or (laughs) even this sea of darker faces. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's me. I'm the diversity. I don't do that anymore. (laughs) Which also leaves me only by myself a lot. But yeah. Right, right. So you're you're still, you're the diversity in whatever room (laughs) you're in, right? Always. Even if it's just you. Always the minority. Yeah always the minority. Exactly. And so finding ways to encourage and empower and equip mixed folks who find themselves Mm. in that space time and time again, to make sure that they are given not just, oh, we want to learn from you without any resources, or we love you so much and we're going to perpetually infantilize you. Mm. 
but no, let's raise up the next generation of mixed leaders, which is the next generation of humans, right? Multi-ethnicity on the rise. What does it look like to make sure that mixed folks have a platform, have the support systems to then teach monoethnic folks about the goodness of Christ? Oh, man. I'm oh, in my man. dream job. You are. I'm jelly. Ugh, you, you know, I, you know, we will be hiring. <laughs> Although I guess you, you would be um, IV Canada, but that's okay. I have some good friends who are IV Canada and uh, yeah, you and I can talk more later. <laughs> I love it. I feel so blessed and in a good way, spoiled and, and confirmed and affirmed that I'm on the path that God has for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That I'm mm -hmm. I'm not getting distracted from the gospel, right? Which is what's leveraged at and weaponized to people of color, specific or people of color generally, but then specifically can be done against what multi-ethnic folks. No, I'm on the path. I'm on the path of following Jesus, of preaching the fullness of his gospel. Mm -hmm. And I'm struggling with workaholism for the first time in like a decade <laughs> because, <laughs> because I've I, I love my job. I, I, I've loved being on campus, um, but I was working primarily with law students for the last 10 years and that's its own ministry. So now the fullness of, okay. And again, I have to have boundaries so that I can be a part of my church community so that I can mm -hmm. be available to my family that lives in this house. Um, yeah, because I'm just loving this job. And so, okay, one of the ways in which I'm being empowered and equipped and encouraged is to have healthy boundaries, to not be a workaholic, right? To trust God that he's doing the work and that he doesn't need me, but he wants me to join him in that. You've been invited to participate in this unfolding yes. hope. I loved yes. the, um, the peace around gospel because and I may be biased when we talk about <laughs> the, the wholeness of the gospel story, it is rooted in the incarnate Christ, who yes. himself is a multi-ethnic being. And as society, as we use North America, and our cultural context mm -hmm. is shifting mm -hmm. in its demographics, I think it's multi-ethnic people who are at the helm to be able to bridge gaps and be the storytellers unto what is to come because we have yes. the cultural competency to do those things that others can't. I think that the piece, you, you use the word um, multi-ethnic people have prophetic eyes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I love that. You should put that on a sweater. Uh, the yes. prophetic eyes to see things that others can't because we've experienced it inside of our own DNA of how to contextualize and how to uh, communicate and share and embody and mm -hmm. live mm -hmm. in different ways. What do you think? Did, did you say superpower at one point? Uh, yeah, so that got coined when I got to chat with Issa McCauley. 
um, on the disruptors. And that was kind of where that came out of it is that it's, it's our superpower. The superpower. Yeah, we have a superpower. Um, uh, and so yeah, I think that we stand at the forefront of, of this work as the church shifts. I don't know how much it's exciting that you're starting something new, me being a, a church planner for all of my career, but, um, or the ministry side, at least, um, that you're starting something new. Because I don't know if the church has the capacity to change these things from within, and if they do, it will be very mm-hmm. slow. But to mm-hmm. start new things that will lead onto new things, that's so exciting to me. May you be affirmed yeah. in this work that you're doing oh, and the you. boundaries that you put up because you want to do it all because it's so incredible. What do you think? I want to ask this question one more after that, and then we'll trail off into the sunset. Okay. Uh, what What do you think multi-ethnic specifically, and I touched on it a little bit, we both touched on it. What do we bring to the church today? I think what's interesting about multi-ethnicity being our superpower, it is not one that is necessarily flashy or necessarily builds us up to be puffed up in of ourselves. I think there's a little bit of a built-in humility. Mm. Mm. That our superpower is recognizing our finitude. Our superpower is recognizing the ways in which we do and don't fit in. Our superpower is knowing that we need Jesus desperately to make sense of ourselves. When we think about North American church culture and evangelical church culture, which I'm still part of a quote unquote evangelical denomination, quote unquote evangelical church. And job. And job, and job, absolutely. Uh, As prophetic as university might be, we're still thoroughly evangelical and quite orthodox. I love that there can be a pushback to celebrity pastor, celebrity leader Mm. culture. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I can be very charismatic and I can get up and preach and teach and speak. And I have all these things to say and I've done the work and I have the receipts and I've done the research and I have this book and this podcast and this position. But at the end of the day, if what I'm saying is multi-ethnic people are amazing because of our multi-ethnic Christ, it's a little bit easier to not get caught up in myself, Mm. which I think is kind of ironic, right? Because our superpower is that we are multi-ethnic. Our superpower is a very embodied and spiritual existence, but because we're basing it on who Jesus actually was and is, Mm. he has to be brought back into the picture if we're telling the story well. Mm. And so I'm grateful because I am gregarious and I do love the spotlight and I do love performing. Um, I'm the weirdest type of people pleaser there is because I want people to be pleased with me as I am. (laughs) So there's not... Even in this inherent framework of code switching and shifting according to different circumstances, there's very much a sense of, oh, no, I'm not going to change how I feel. I'm going to logic and emote you into realizing how great I am, <laughs> which is just, yeah, which is. How's that has, going? <laughs> it's 
max of colonialism mm. um, at its worst, oh, I recognize. <laughs> but I think it's also, it can be, it can be a very winsome presentation of the gospel. Look how good God has made me. Mm. Look how much God has poured his image into me and thereby you in terms of a nuanced story, in terms of not settling for easy answers, in terms of living in liminal spaces, in terms of my talents and my passions and my perspective. Again, I can get stuck in the look at me part, but I think God is gracious to move me along to the look how great I am because of how God has made me. Hmm. And I think that is definitely a prophetic word for the church, because again, it's that unhealthy binary that I think is what plagues us with our celebrity culture, our celebrity pastor, our celebrity leader culture of either someone downplays themselves and either it's false humility or they never get heard Hmm. or they accept the adulation that comes with the title and they set themselves up for failure with a lack of humility and they surround themselves with quote unquote, yes, men who don't keep them humble and grounded that middle ground of absolutely. I have this voice and I'm going to use it. Absolutely. I have the educational privilege and have had the socioeconomic privilege to do this work, to study these things, to do the research, to write the book. Mm -hmm. And that's because of God. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a superpower that'll last, right? That's to whom much has been given, much will be expected. That's, to me, and this is where I'll wax nerdy, to me, that is the difference between the origin story of Iron Man, who is a self-made man, Mm -hmm. who created his superpower, who revels in saying, I am Iron Man. And I have thoughts about Iron Man and, you know, his playboy ways anyway. And Captain America, who was chosen because uh, white Captain America, um, the, the, the original Cap in the Marvel timeline, who was chosen because he willingly fell on a grenade, thinking it was real, to protect other people. That's a very different style of leadership. That's a very different way of being a superhero. And if I can really geek out, when you look at the story in agents of shield, which I'm obsessed with and I get real cranky Mm. with people who are like, it's not a part of the MCU. Yeah. Shut up. It is. Stan Lee had a cameo. All of that passion is because I love agents of shield because it is such a diverse cast. Mm. And the origin story of superheroes in that like quake, who is mixed. The actor who plays quake, Chloe Bennett is white American and Chinese American. The character she plays is mixed and it's made very clear in her parentage. She comes into her powers in a very frightening way and she really wrestles with them. And when she comes to accept who she is as this powered inhuman person, superhero, it is from a place of, looking at what does it mean to be this and this? What does it mean to mm, be yeah. this this 
person who can save lives, but can also take them without meaning to, or if she loses her temper, right? And then the other other Asian character, primary character, lead character on the show is played by Ming-Na Wen, who is amazing. And she is not super powered, but she's a superhero. She's amazing. She's a fighter, but she's also passionate. And she comes into her own of learning what does it mean to be stoic, but not harsh? What does it mean to admit Mm my softer parts. Um, and again, I already mentioned Shang-Chi. It bums me out. People saying, oh, he's the first Asian superhero in the MCU. Because he's not. Because these two women with varying Asian ethnicities, one of whom is mixed, they've already done some of this work and that comes in brazenly and says, I am all of these things and I am all there is to need or know, but I want to be the kind that comes in and says, I've been gifted by God with these super heroic habits and attributes and it's hard and it's not easy. And I stand on the shoulders of giants. I stand firmly on my community and my ancestry and those that have walked before. That's the type of superhero I want to be. I think that one of our superpowers is we're able to, whether we do so imperfect, we'll always do so imperfectly rather, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. to know the struggle of belonging and to be able to spot and identify gaps in belonging and community so we can see those who don't fit. Because mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. almost yes. every yes. aspect, at least along an ethnic or ethnicity or, or racialized line we know what it means to not belong and to then create space of belonging yes which isn't easy (laughs) especially when you're creating Mm -hmm. new things the last question i have or exploration is just the one piece in your book where it was just we've already touched on it a couple of times already but it was like why didn't i i can't believe this is not what i miss this it is so evident yet it's also and and i and i'm still sitting and i have to sit with it is the notion of jesus as multi-ethnic jesus Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i'm just like Maybe partially we're not culturally alert to different ethnicities uh, from the ancient Near East. Right. Uh, but that means a lot. And it draws yeah. Yeah. Jesus into the multi-ethnic experience, draws us nearer to yes. Christ in ways that still need to be fully explored. And of course, each of us, which is the beauty of incarnation, that Christ mm-hmm, would mm-hmm. encounter us in our multi-ethnicity, we need to just sit in that. Yeah. Was there an aha moment for you as you made that connection? Yes, definitely. As I said, when I read Sunday's book, mm-hmm. I recently had what started out as a little bit of a panicky aha moment, which then I think became a word to monoethnic white folks. So I was thinking about, wait a minute, Jesus' ethnicity is, his multi-ethnicity, 
his his heritage of these diverse women is pretty far back in his lineage and had a little bit of a panicked moment of, oh no, <laughs> am I wrong? This is after the book had come out, right? Mm. This is in the last couple of months. Okay. Oh no, mm. am I completely wrong? Like yeah. <gasps> what? That's what I've been saying white folk don't get to do, right? They don't get to say, mm. oh, I've got yeah, yeah. an Irish I'm ancestor or German ancestor. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. They don't get to do that. And I seriously had a, a little bit of a crisis uh, of, of not faith, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I had that mental crisis. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. How far back? Yeah. How far back? Well, here's the deal. Yeah. I think what matters about it is it informs how Jesus did his ministry and lived his life as a Jewish man. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a footnote. The spirit of God who is God, who is Jesus, the spirit of Christ as given to the disciples and then to all believers, specifically had Matthew include that lineage in his gospel. So it's not a footnote, right? It's not something mm-hmm. that was written in the margins and mm-hmm. we can have discussions yes. of, of inspiration and original text and all that. But unlike some other passages, which are still debated, nobody is debating the veracity mm-hmm. of Matthew 1. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is 100% verifiable. And not every ancestor of Christ that is even mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, in Numbers, in Leviticus, in all of those sections of the Pentateuch, is mentioned in the Matthew 1 lineage. So the Holy Spirit was very specific and careful to inspire Matthew to write those women into the lineage. So one, that that means something in terms of what we are being told about Jesus and who Jesus is. And when you look at Jesus' interactions with the Syrophoenician woman, mm-hmm. when you look at his interactions with Samaritans in general, he is formed by the lineage of these matriarch, these matriarchs who came into the Jewish people and reminded us that, and this is credit to my dear friend, Steve Tamayo, who is mixed um, Latino white, the lineage, the Jewish lineage was not intended to be quote unquote pure all along. To be Jewish was always meant to be welcoming in the nations. Mm, mm-hmm, mm. Okay. So that, that made me feel better just in, you know, as an author and as a, a speaker and a theologian, like, okay, I'll go. Okay. All right. I didn't miss something important. I did. I did miss something important, but that does not adds, upend. Yeah, yeah. It adds yeah. exactly. It doesn't upend. And I think that then becomes a message for monoethnic folks who are majority culture, who are white, that this is how you do it. This is how you dig into your heritage in a way that echoes Jesus. I was so honored because another dear friend, and again, these are all folks um, that I've encountered in church or through university, Bob Truby, he reviewed the book and he is a white man. And he made it a good point in his review of saying, this is not just a book for mixed folks. Mm. I ask mixed people all the time who are so gracious and who say things like what you've said and what I said about Sunday's book. I felt so seen. Thank you so much. This blessed me. I ask them to give a copy to their pastor, to their boss, to their family who are monoethnic, either majority culture or minority culture. Mm. Because I think when monoethnic people look at the example of Jesus, they can find a way to 
look at the facets of their ethnicity that is not appropriative, that is not, in a sense, colorblind, we're all mixed, but is in the, how do my ancestors, how can my ancestors shape the way I engage those who are different from me today? Because that's what we do as mixed people, right? Again, that's our normal. Mm-hmm. And I definitely get on a soapbox that mono, you know, as we think of all the normativity, white normativity, the patriarchy, in a lot of ways, even in orthodox side B spaces, heteronormativity, as we engage all of those questions, we as mixed folks, that's part of our superpower, are very good at pushing back on those norms and saying, actually, here's another perspective. Here's another side. I think the church in general, and certainly the white church, white church in North America is haunted by the specter of mono-ethnic normativity. Mm-hmm. It is a multi-ethnic world. Yeah. It's incomplete. Mm-hmm. And I, and I want to even like reverse the script and not be like, okay, well, the norm is monoethnicity, but here's another story that's multi-ethnic. No, the norm is multi-ethnicity. Mm. Monoethnicity is actually <laughs> the outlier, right? And I think uh. Jesus and his lineage shows all of us a way to do that well, to say, okay, Jesus didn't identify as Canaanite, but he identified with Canaanites because of Rahab, his Canaanite ancestor. Mm. He didn't identify as Moabite, but he identified with Moabites because of Ruth and how she came from Moab and met the Christ, or met, well, yes, the the pre-incarnate Christ. She met God as he was presented to her in the faithfulness of the Jewish Naomi, her mother-in-law. And that called her into the Jewish family, but she didn't lose her Mm -hmm, mm Moabiteness. And Jesus never really did either. It just became a part of the Jewish story. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he could identify as Jewish in a way that honored his Moabite heritage, in a way that shaped the way he engaged and encountered those who were different from him, whether that was women or non-Jews, quote unquote, or even the rich because he was poor, right? That was shaped by it. And I think that is a message for all of us that we need to find the ways in which we occupy minority spaces or have a lineage of minorities to allow us to engage and encounter minorities in a humble way, in a way that longs, not even tolerates being taught, but longs to be taught. Because in the same way that Jewish, in the same way that Jesus was Jewish and Jewish was always meant to be of the nations, a set apart people from, for God who welcomed the nations in what it can mean to be human, what it can mean to be multi-ethnic, what it can mean even to be white in some ways is to take that privilege and to welcome the nations in and to say, because of my ancestry, I will be reminded that there are those who have not been treated well and are continuing to not be treated well. And I will let that shape the way I preach the gospel because the gospel is for the nations. The leaves of the tree I love in Revelation 21 
the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That's our call. 